0: Welcome to the Love Lab Podcast, a safe place to get real about sex. Whether you're a man, woman, single, or couple, this is the show for you. We are your hosts, Kevin Anthony and Celine Remy, and we are here to guide you to go from good to amazing in the bedroom and beyond. All right, welcome back to the Love Lab Podcast. This is episode 264, and it is titled, Busting Bad Sex, Love, and Relationship Advice. So... Last week, I did an episode on busting sex myths, and that was kind of a a part two, if you will, uh, to an episode that Selena and I did a few years back about busting myths, and so in that one, I went back to that original episode and looked at what myths we had busted and then went out and looked for some other myths, but myths are a little bit different than bad advice. Myths, as you, I'm sure, can understand, you know, there are these like uh, misconceptions that get passed on over the years and years and years that then become these sort of myths. But what I'm going to talk about today is advice, advice that you might get from friends, advice that you might get from family, advice that you might even get from coaches, professionals, therapists, that really is just... Bad advice. Some of this bad advice uh, are things that I have heard clients tell me that they were told. And then some of it I found out on the internet. And so uh, it's going to be a mix of that. They're not in any particular order. They are just bad pieces of advice. And then, of course, obviously, I'm not going to just point out the bad advice. I'm going to tell you what the good advice is to counter that bad advice. Now, of course, when we're talking about advice, these are my opinions on what is good advice versus bad advice, so you can take it or leave it. That is up to you, but uh, obviously, any advice I give, I believe to be, to the best of my knowledge and ability, uh, the best advice that I can give you on this particular topic. And I do admit, I've been doing this work for a while, so I have some pretty decent insight into it. But if you disagree with anything I say, share it in the comments. I'd love to hear your opinions on these things. All right. Before we do that, a word from our sponsor, Power & Mastery 3.0 is here. The men's sexual mastery program you have heard about on this show for a long time is now even better. I have personally reviewed every module, lesson, video, audio, and PDF to see if there's anything else that could be added to the program. As a result, I have added 10 new videos, 1 new audio, 8 new PDFs, and dozens of links to handpicked products to help support your journey to mastery. In addition, there's also a brand new user interface that makes it easier to navigate the course and find your course materials. So, if you are ready to become the sexual master you have always wanted to be, then go to powerandmastery.com. That is powerandmastery.com. Remember that power and mastery is three separate courses, Power Up Your Erections for Men Suffering with Erectile Dysfunction, Master Your Ejaculation for Men Suffering from Premature Ejaculation, and Sexual Mastery for Men who want to expand their skills and become a sexual master. Of course, if you purchase Sexual Mastery It comes with the other two programs, Power Up Your Erections and Master Your Ejaculation. So you get all three for the price of just one. It is absolutely worth it. If you need help in any of those areas, make sure that you check that out at powerandmastery.com. Okay, so I have a list of 17 pieces of bad sex, love, and relationship advice, and we're just going to dive in and take them one at a time. Okay, number one, don't have sex on the first date. You have to wait X number of dates, weeks, months. This is one that you hear all the time. You will often hear women telling other women this, oh, you can't have sex with him on the first date. You've got to wait X number of dates before you do that, right? Now, I understand where this comes from. This comes from a fear that men only want sex and that once they get sex, they won't want anything else and they won't call you back and they won't want to go on another date with you or they won't want to date you consistently or anything like that. So I understand that that's where this comes from. However, it's never just as simple as oh, well, you just can't do it on the first date, you need to wait. What it really comes down to is your ability to assess an individual and decide whether or not this is a person that is worthy of having sex with on the first date. So like the perfect example, you know, before Celine and I went on our very first date ever, we had a conversation and we decided that sex was off the table. We literally had that conversation before we even went on the date, where we said, hey, you know what? Let's just take sex off the table so there's no pressure. Let's just have a date where there's going to be no sex. And so I went into that date assuming that there was going to be no sex. Somewhere around halfway through the date, I remember Celine looks at me, and she says, she looks me right in the eye, and she says, can I change my mind? And I said, absolutely you can. And so we did end up having sex on that first date, which then resulted in an amazing relationship and marriage and really the best the best seven years of my life. So, you know, some people may say, well, that's just you guys because you are really compatible, this, that, or the other thing. No, that can be the case for anybody. The thing is, you have to be able to make good judgments. And that's really what it's all about. So when you are getting to know somebody on that first date, you have to make an assessment. Is this somebody that's trustworthy? Is this somebody that you can tell will not just want, you know, to add you as another notch in their bedpost and move on? And I understand that that's not always the easiest thing to assess. And I would say that if you're unsure, then wait. Wait until you feel sure, but don't wait until it's been three dates, it's been five dates, it's been one month, it's been whatever. Wait until you feel confident that this is the right thing for both of you to do. And that that goes for men too. You know, we have this idea that, you know, men don't care, they'll have sex anywhere, anytime, anyhow. There's a little bit of truth to that for sure, especially with younger men. But the older we get as men, the less true that is. And so for any of the guys out there too, don't feel pressured like you have to have sex on that first date. If you don't feel comfortable yet, you want to get to know her more. Maybe you're a little bit concerned about your performance, maybe achieving an erection or lasting long enough. You don't have to have sex on that first date. Wait till you get to know her a little bit, but then have that discussion. Because if things are really moving in that direction quick and you're making excuses, she's going to start wondering, what's going on here? She might think you're not interested. She might think there's something else wrong. Just be upfront and honest with her and say, hey, I'm a little nervous about this. I want to take some time to get to know you first, and then we'll have sex. A little bit of communication goes a long way. So that's the first one. Busting, don't have sex on the first date. Yes, you can if it is right, and you need to assess whether or not that's right. And if you're unsure, just wait. Okay, number two, don't show that you are too interested in him or her. Oh, this is another one you hear all the time. Don't make it look like you're too interested. What, what is up with that? If you're interested, just tell them that you're interested. Show them. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I know the fear is, oh, they're going to take advantage of you. and What if they don't like you as much? So what? Just be open and honest about where you're at and whether or not you're actually interested in somebody. Tell them how you actually feel. And, you know, you'll, you'll start to figure out pretty quickly if the other person feels the same way. See, the thing is, if you don't say anything, right, and they don't say anything, then neither of you really has any idea what what's going on with the other person or where they stand or where you stand in that relationship. So it's always best to just say, hey, you know, here's how I feel. And I know it's, it's tricky and it's challenging because nobody wants to get hurt. Nobody wants to bare their soul and say, you know what, I'm really into you and I'm really liking the way this is going. And then have the other person on the other end say, you know, just not working for me. Sorry. Like nobody wants that. But wouldn't you rather that happen right in the beginning than weeks, months, whatever down the road, right? So again, just show that you are indeed interested and yeah, communicate where you're really at. It will make things so, so much easier for both of you. And the next one is very, the next two are very similar to that. So the next one is you have to wait X number of days in between calls or texts. Uh, uh, And there's so many variations of this one, by the way, like you can't text until it's been X number of days, or you can only text this number of times. I would, I would put this advice under the category of playing games. Don't play games. That is the simplest, most direct advice I can give you. Don't play games. Nobody likes to be played. Nobody does. And I can't tell you how many times I have sat on the other end listening to either friends or clients say things like, I don't know, you know, he seemed like he was really into me, but now I haven't heard from him in three days, and I don't really know what that means, and maybe he wasn't as interested as I thought, or, and half the time it turns out that they're just following some stupid advice like this, and they're like, I really want to text her, but I, if I do that, then I'm going to seem like I'm too interested, and I'm supposed to wait three days, and blah, 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 bullshit. Don't play games. You know, games are for kids, not for Adults who are dating, you will often see these games, of course, in you know young people dating. However, you still see those games showing up in older people. You know, these are people that are, they've been married, they've been divorced, they've had kids, whatever, they're in their 40s now, 50s, and they're still playing these games, still. Just don't do it. Don't wait X number of days between calls or texts. Now, does that mean that you should be... Sending a gazillion texts to them and flooding their, their text messages? No. Just text whatever is appropriate. So if somebody texts you and asks you a question or something requires a response, just respond in a timely manner like you would any other text. If uh, you happen to just be thinking about them or something reminds you of them and you want to send them a quick message to say, Hey, I was just thinking about you. I saw this thing. It reminded me of our date. Just wanted to say hi, and then I was thinking about you. Just do it. But just find what is ever the natural rhythm or flow. And also just ask. Ask your partner, what kind of frequency with messaging do they like? Some people want regular messages to know that you're thinking about them, and other people are like, whoa, okay, that's a little much for me, right? So just figure out, well, figure out, ask them, what do they like? Like, is it okay if I just send you a message whenever I'm thinking about you? Or, you know, would you prefer that I only send messages, you know, a couple times a week? Whatever it is. But don't, don't fall into the, I got to wait X number of days. I can't call yet because it's been too soon. I'm going to look like I'm too interested. <laughs> no, just drop all of that. No games and just be yourself. Number four, which is very similar to that, is play hard to get. You should play hard to get. This is one you see, I mean, you'll see both men and women do it, but I think maybe you see women do it a little bit more, which is that, I'm going to play hard to get. I want him to chase me. A little bit of that is okay. A little bit of that sort of chasing dynamic is okay. And I've heard from a lot of women, and Celine used to say this too. She used to say all the time, she's like, I want to be chased. Okay, totally get it. You don't necessarily have to play hard to get in order for them to chase you, though. Uh, so that's another interesting and, and valid point. And if you are going to play hard, just, just do a little bit, like just enough to tease so that they understand that you're playing hard to get, as opposed to thinking that you're really not interested, right? Because that's generally, when they say play hard to get, That's that's what they want you to do. They want you to pretend that you're not that interested and, you know, that uh, you could kind of take it or leave it and you want them to come and really like want you, want you. No, I do not agree with that at all. If you want to do a little bit of playful, you know, hard to get just to create a little bit of that, you know, dynamic of chasing that many women like, great, that's fine. And But guys will do this too. Guys will play the hard to get and, and the way The way that they do it is actually like the next one that's on the list, which is act like you don't care. You'll see guys doing this a lot. They pretend like they're the stoic, tough guy who really doesn't care. Ugh, I don't care. Yeah, if you want to go on a date, fine. You know, like, no. Again, these are games. This is bullshit. Don't do that. Just be genuine. Be yourself. You don't need to... Uh, play hard to get, and you don't need to act like you don't care. Interestingly enough, and I know we see this in a lot of like movies and TV shows, you know, sort of the bad, buy, bad boy who doesn't give a shit, right? And all of a sudden, all the women are attracted to him and want him. And I know probably somebody will watch this video uh, who's more in like the pickup artist school, will, who who will argue with me about how great this tactic works, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a tactic if all you're trying to do is pick somebody up. But if you're trying to actually find somebody to have a real relationship with, it's bullshit. It just is. And, you know, it's something that you see in movies and TV shows, but it it doesn't accurately reflect real life. Uh, So, you know, acting like you don't care is just nonsense. If you care, show that you care. The reality is, is every woman wants you to care. She literally wants you to care. Even if she may be attracted to the bad boy who doesn't care, ultimately, she wants a man who cares. So you starting out a relationship by acting like you don't care is not a good way to start out a relationship. Whew. Okay, so yeah, I would, put, I would put all of those. that Don't show that you are too interested. You have to wait X number of days between uh, calls or texts, playing hard to get and acting like you don't care. I would put all of those in the playing games category don't do it. Don't play games with your relationship. There are few things in life that are as important and serious as having a good quality relationship, and you don't want to play games with things that are important. All right, next one on the list. Let them make the first move. This is an interesting one. You will often see this a little bit more with women who want to let the man make the first move, and I get it. I understand why they want that. Most women, although it doesn't seem like it in society today, most women do want a confident, assertive man who takes charge. That's just the truth. Giving myself a truth bomb for that one. And so the waiting for them to make the first move is often women waiting to see, is he confident enough? Is he strong enough? Does he want me enough? Is he going to step up and make that move? So I understand that, and and it's not necessarily terrible advice. The problem, however, is this. Sometimes if you wait for a man to make the first move, or even if you wait for the woman, if you're the man, or maybe you're in a same-sex couple and there's a little bit less of that dynamic in there. If you're waiting for somebody to make the first move and they don't, then nothing ever happens. (laughs) That's the problem with that strategy. You might be waiting a really long time uh, and, and you might miss the opportunity altogether. So, You know, again with this one, you know, if you're in a more traditional masculine feminine dynamic and you're the woman and you really want a man who is going to have confidence and step up and make the first move, uh, then okay, wait a little bit. But if you're really interested in this person and they're not making the first move, I I would suggest either strongly hinting that you want them to make the first move or you're just going to have to make the move for yourself. Now, keep in mind that in today's society, there's so much pressure on men. Uh, With the whole Me Too movement and the whole toxic masculinity thing, there is a ton of pressure on men not to be aggressive or even masculine at all. And so there are a lot of men who would normally make the first move who now are afraid to make the first move because they don't want to be accused of, you know, being toxic masculine or misogynist or whatever other, you know, labels they get given just for being a normal man. So that's why I say, given the current climate that we're in, if he's not making the first move, uh, you may have to make it yourself. Now, I will also say that a confident man is not going to give a shit what society says, and he's going to go out and he's going to do what it is he wants to do if it feels right for him in that moment, and of course right for her. Um, So it is potentially a sign of a weaker man if he's not stepping up because he's afraid. However, it is a significant amount of pressure these days in society. It's, It's not, it's not insignificant where you should blow it off. So there could be a lot of good men who normally would be, you know, the confident, strong men, but in this situation are a bit apprehensive. So it's worth uh, giving them a shot if you're really interested in them. I would simply say just pay good attention and see if this pattern shows up in other areas of his life and the relationship. Because really, if what you're looking for is a strong, confident man who takes charge, and he doesn't, and you have to be the one to make the first move, it doesn't necessarily mean he's not a strong, confident man, but it just means you want to pay a little bit more attention to make sure that, you know, he really does step up in the areas where you want and need him to. Uh, So that is busting, letting them make the first move. Just remember, if you're both sitting there waiting for the other one to make the first move and nobody does, then nothing happens. All right. Oh, this next one. This next one is one I have spent a ridiculous amount of time coaching people on. Man, I probably should have put this at the beginning of the list, (laughs) It's something that I am really passionate about and it's something that Celine and I were really passionate about too because she spent a ridiculous amount of time coaching people on this one. All right, (laughs) it is, chemistry means that you are compatible. All right, we have science to back this one up here. So when you first meet somebody and you feel that spark, that energy, that mm, what people call chemistry... They often mistake that for thinking that this person is the right person for them and this person is compatible. So I'm sure you have heard of the honeymoon phase right which you know people say lasts anywhere from a year to a year and a half to somewhere sometimes upwards of two years. What is that honeymoon period? What are we really talking about here? Well, what we're talking about is a period of time in the beginning of a relationship where nature plays its little trick and produces all these feel-good hormones when we're around the other person. It's a way of helping procreation happen. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are compatible long-term partners, and that's where people get confused. They feel that Right? Or maybe they don't feel that, and they think this is either the right person or this is the wrong person. So I've seen this played out many, many times uh, where a woman goes, eh, you know, I just I don't really feel that chemistry with him. He's not the right one. And they end up passing on somebody who's really an amazing person. And the problem is, is they don't give any time for that chemistry to develop, which it can. Vice versa, you will often see uh, a lot of people say that, oh my god, I just, I feel this amazing chemistry, like this is the one, finally this is the one, and then you watch them date for months or years and it's a disaster, it's a train wreck, because the chemistry doesn't necessarily tell you if this is the right person or not the right person. So you can't rely on that chemistry in the beginning to make a good decision about is this the right person, is this not the right person, are we compatible long-term or not. So don't get fooled by the chemistry. You've got to look for other things. Chemistry can be a good sign, can be, doesn't necessarily mean that it is, and you've got to look for other things. You've got to get to know the person, find out who they really are, find out the things that they like, you know, uh, find out their positions on things that are really important to you, their religious views, political views, just life views in general, what they want out of life, where their life path is going. Find out all of those things and find out if they're compatible with you and what you want and how you feel about these subjects in the world. And also pay attention to is there good sexual chemistry. When you get together sexually, like does it flow? Does it work? Does it feel good? Do you both feel happy and satisfied with it? The way you communicate, does it feel easy or not easy, right? Like look for all of these other things because eventually the chemistry will die down. Now, it doesn't mean it goes away. That's another myth. I should have put that, or maybe it was one of the myths in one of the two episodes, about the fact that, you know, once the honeymoon period is over, it's everything's just blah and whatever, And but now you're committed, so you got to stay in it. It it doesn't have to, but it will change. doesn't mean it goes away. It just means it will change. It'll be different over time. And in some ways, uh, maybe it doesn't feel as intense with the chemistry part, but in other ways, you will feel a depth of connection and love that's not there in the beginning that you've built over time. And that is really the good stuff. So you want to look for all of those things and and not pay quite so close attention to chemistry. All right. One more before we take a break for the sponsor. And this is another great one. You can change him or her. (laughs) Well, you know... He, he, he meets most of my needs, but there's this one thing that's really a problem that's really not working for me. But don't worry, I'll change him. Given enough time, I can whip him into shape. <laughs> you hear this a lot. You will often hear women saying this a little bit more, I can change him. Uh, it's not something you hear guys saying as frequently, although it does happen, for sure. Um, often you'll hear this, you know, there'll be some big thing like, you know, women will date a guy who just can't commit. Like it just has a history, a long history of moving from relationship to relationship and never really fully committing. And they go, oh, well, you know, this relationship is different. I'll get him to commit. I can change him. And then eight years down the road where they're still dating and boyfriend and girlfriend and haven't moved in yet or, you know, haven't decided or even talked about potentially being engaged or marriage or anything like that, they start getting real frustrated. and They can't seem to understand why he just can't commit. <laughs> well, you knew that from day one and you thought you could change him, but you couldn't. So my advice when it comes to that is you have to accept people for who they are and how they show up right now in the present moment. And if who that person is and how they operate and how they show up in the relationship is acceptable to you, great. Then there's potential there. And if, if it gets better or it changes a little bit over time uh, and, and, and the commitment gets deeper or, or whatever that thing is, great. But if it doesn't, you're also okay with where it's at now. And that's really the key. Because if where it's at now isn't okay to you, there is no guarantee, absolutely no guarantee that it is going to get any better at any point in the future. So this idea that, well, it's not really where I want it to be, but I can change him or I can change her. Nope. Nope. You have to assume that you can't and you just have to... Accept them for who they are and where they are at. And if over time they evolve in ways that make it even better, great. And if they don't, at least you are already happy with who they are. All right. Well, that is the first eight pieces of bad sex, love, and relationship advice. And I've got more for you. But first, a short break from the sponsor... Hey guys, do you know what makes a man great? You know the kind of masculine man that women are irresistibly attracted to and want. Is it money, job title, physical body, being great in bed, a big penis, or great pickup lines? What if you don't have those or you only have some of them? What if you've had a string of failed relationships, are embarrassed by your bedroom skills, doubt whether you can rise to the occasion, worry about lasting long enough, or are always stuck in the friend zone? Then I can help you. If you are ready to make big changes and finally become the man you have always wanted to be, then this is the program for you. Go to kevinanseline.com forward slash go forward slash warrior. That is kevinanseline.com forward slash go forward slash warrior. That is a link to my men's coaching program. We will work on all things sex, love, and relationship. Whatever it is that you are needing, sometimes men need more coaching in how to be a stronger man, how to show up better for the women in their lives. Sometimes they need help with their physical performance in the bedroom, getting erections, maintaining them, uh, lasting long enough, you know, uh, improving their sex skills so that they can really fuck their women into oblivion and and just blow their minds with, with the sexual connection. Uh, sometimes they just need to learn how to communicate in their relationships or learn the subtle things about building intimacy. There is so, so much that we can work on here. And if you are needing help and support in any of those areas and many more that I haven't mentioned, then please go to kevinanseline.com forward slash go forward slash warrior. All right, I've got... A bunch more pieces of bad sex, love, and relationship advice that we are going to bust right now. All right, next one. Having a child, a threesome, or getting married will fix your broken relationship. Oh, man. Oh, oh. You know, the, the, there are a few that I put on this list that are really big pet peeves of mine, and this is another one of them. I can't tell you how many times I have seen this. A relationship isn't really working all that well. And maybe the the sex in the relationship isn't that great. Somebody's feeling that their needs aren't being met. And they go, I know what will fix it. Let's bring in a third person. (laughs) You've heard me talk on this show and on my YouTube videos many times about The challenges of threesomes, foursomes, moresomes, sex parties, whatever, they generally introduce more challenges. So if you're already in a situation that's challenging, do you really think that's going to help? If you're having trouble connecting sexually with your partner, do you think bringing in a third partner is going to help? And now your partner's going to be like, ooh, wow, we're a better sexual match, or this is working better for me than what's going on here. And then jealousy creeps in, and it's just it can be a complete disaster. As you know, I am not against threesomes, foursomes, whatever configurations you want to do. I have certainly had my share of all of them. But you have to enter into them in a relationship that's solid, that's stable, that's working, where both people in the relationship know that no matter what happens in this encounter, the relationship will be solid. It's not something that you should ever do because your relationship isn't working and you're trying to figure out a way to make it work. Same thing goes for having a child. Wow, this one really blows my mind. Like, I can almost understand why people think a threesome might fix things uh, in the bedroom. Almost. But having been there and understanding the realities versus the fantasy of it, uh, obviously I understand that it doesn't or most likely won't. But having a child will just blows my mind because if you've had children or if you've ever helped raise children or if you've simply observed the people in your life who do have children, you will know that having a child will press every button in your relationship that you've got. It will stress you to the max. It will absolutely stretch you as far as it can until you break or right before you break. It is one of the most difficult things that you can do in life. How in the world do you think adding more difficulty and stress is going to fix your relationship? It's not. It's only going to make it worse. And not only is it going to harm the relationship, now you're introducing a child into it who's most likely going to be in a less than healthy relationship environment. So, you know, you're creating all kinds of potential scarring and patterns that this poor child will likely repeat throughout the rest of their life as well. So having a child is not the way to fix a relationship. If you choose to have children, that's wonderful, great, but do it, of course, because you both want to do it and do it because your relationship is in a healthy place and it's something that you want to do. It's, it's a challenge that you want to take on together and it should bring you closer together. Now, of course, there are always going to be moments where you disagree on a parenting issue or whatever, but in general, it should bring you closer together rather than further apart. So uh, yeah, don't think that having a child is going to fix a relationship that's not working well. Neither is a threesome and neither is getting married. That's another thing too. People think, oh, well, you know, once we get married, that everything will be better. There'll be less stress, less pressure. That's not necessarily the case either. So I do not in any way recommend doing any of those things if your relationship is not functioning. What I suggest is, you do the work that you need to do to fix your relationship first. And then if you want to do those other things, go for it. So, you know, read the books you got to read, take the classes you got to take, hire the coaches you got you got to hire, whatever it takes, fix the relationship first. And if it's not capable of being fixed, then you certainly don't want to do any of those other things with it. And you should probably look at moving on and finding a relationship that does work for you. Whoo, Man, that one's such a big pet peeve of mine. I can't tell you how many times I've seen clients and friends make one of these moves thinking that this is going to fix everything. And it is just a train wreck every time. All right. Oh, next one on the list. Yeah, this one is, it, it's, it's less of a pet peeve of mine, yet it is still something that annoys me to no end. And that is, the kids should always come first. This is another bad piece of relationship advice. You'll, you'll hear people talk about this, you know, and I, I've literally heard women give this advice to other women, whether like, well, your, your kids have to always come first. And, you know, put your relationship on hold to take care of the kids and blah, blah, blah. Here's the problem with that. If you're not putting time and effort into your relationship, your relationship's not going to survive and it's not going to be successful. So you are literally sacrificing your relationship for your kids. Now, some people may say, well, that's an acceptable sacrifice because my kids are important. But is it really? And are you doing yourself and or your kids a disservice? I believe that you are. See, to really raise kids properly, you need two parents. You do. You need a feminine parent and a masculine parent. You need to have both, and kids need to experience both. Right? And I mean, one of the biggest problems we see with, you know, and there's a ton of stats to back this up, but fatherless homes, the kids absolutely get in trouble with the law way more often. And there's tons of official government statistics, although, you know, government, but uh, there's tons of research on this to show that when kids grow up in single-parent homes, that they are far more dysfunctional than when they grow up with two uh, parents in a healthy relationship. Obviously, a two-parent relationship can still be dysfunctional and cause problems, but the chances of it uh, being better uh, for the child is a whole lot better. So... Um, what you need to do in your relationship, because your kids are important. There's nothing wrong with that, but you need to find a balance because your relationship is equally important. It's important for you, it's important for your partner, and it's important for your kids to have healthy examples of a highly functioning relationship so they don't repeat all of your effed up patterns that you did in your relationship. Uh, And it's important for them to have both parents in that family unit to raise them it is, and the, the the data does not lie on this. I know everybody thinks these days you don't need two parents, or, you know, you don't need a man, or you don't need a woman, or, you know, whatever it is, none of that is true. The data is in- unbelievably clear about how important it is to have two parents, a masculine and a feminine parent, in a relationship raising kids, in a functioning relationship, that is, a, and hopefully a highly functioning one. So, So don't sacrifice your relationship at the altar of your children. Uh, Find a balance in there where you can give to your relationship and you can give to your children. That is going to be the best outcome for you, for your partner, for your kids, and for the relationship. Man, I do not see that one in a healthy balance very often these days. I really don't. we used to do a lot more in the older days. Uh, there wasn't so much focus on the kids. I mean, there's always a focus on the kids cause you have to, but you know, I mean, me growing up in the seventies and, and into the eighties, I mean, yeah, my parents focused on us as kids and most parents did at that time, but the world did not revolve around us as kids like it does today. Right. Um, you know, they were a little bit more of the children should be seen and not heard uh, philosophy, which I'm not necessarily saying is the right thing to do. I'm just saying you need to find a balance. That's all. All right, next. Each partner should do an equal share of everything. Oh, this whole idea of equality in the relationship. Uh, you see this one a lot these days. You see it everywhere, not just in relationships, but you see it in politics and social programs and all this kind of stuff. Our goal should never be to make everything 100% equal. Our goal, at least outside of relationship, should be to create equal opportunity Everybody has the same opportunity, and then it's up to you to get off your lazy ass and, and do something about it, right? So you shouldn't just get stuff for free just because you happen to be here. Now, in a relationship, how does this play out? Well, what it means is there are certain tasks that men like doing more than than women do, and there are certain tasks that women like doing more than men do, there are certain tasks that women might be better at, and that men might be better at. And rather than saying, we all got to split everything equally, it's better for you to look at it and say, what are the things that I like to do, that I wouldn't resent doing, that I don't mind doing, or that I'm good at? Um, And same with, with your partner, and then just divvy things up. All that really matters is that you're both putting equal energy in, but not everything else has to be equal. So, you know, in my relationship with Celine, I mean, she cooked the overwhelming majority of all the meals because she was amazing at it. She was, you know, I used to call her a five-star chef. She was amazing at how she could just create things out of thin air and they were always good. She was far better at making meals than I am. Yeah, I made meals here and there from time to time. I usually took care of breakfast, which was more of the easy meal. But we were nowhere near equal in that department. Vice versa, everything that had to be maintained on the outside of the house, whether it was the landscaping or the house itself or the fence or the yard or the cars or the trash, I did all of that stuff. She never had to touch any of it ever because she didn't like doing those things and I did. You know what I didn't like doing? I didn't like vacuuming or cleaning the bathroom, which I still did my fair share of. But but the point is is that like, you know, she did the overwhelming majority of cleaning in the house and I did everything outside of the house. And what we did was we divvied up the tasks in a way that we both felt worked for us. I would so much rather be outside scooping up the dead animals in the backyard, you know, the the half-eaten rabbits from the coyotes or the hawks or whatever, and taking care of that than vacuuming the living room. I just, I don't whatever reason, I don't like vacuuming, right? (laughs) So, so... It's not about everything should be equal, and I watch couples struggle to try to make everything equal, and then people aren't happy, and there's resentment, and things don't get done, or they don't get done the way they should, and then that creates more resentment, and it just becomes a whole thing. So don't struggle, don't strive for equal in everything in the relationship. Um, In fact, one of the things uh, Celine used to say all the time is that each person should be giving, you know, 60% and receiving 40%. Now, obviously, both people can't give 60% because that's more than 100%. Um, But you get the idea is that you should always strive to be giving more into your relationship than you expect to be receiving from it. And if both people do that, you will both feel very satisfied with each other. Uh, And when it comes to doing life things, life chores, life tasks... Divvy them up in a way that feels right for you. As long as you both feel like you're both putting enough energy into the relationship to support it, there should not be any resentment. You don't have to make all the tasks equal. You just have to feel like you're both putting in the effort. That's the important part. All right, next. Oh. <laughs> the second half of this list is, uh, is, is I think, even better than the first half. Everyone I read, I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> Next one on the list, your appearance doesn't matter once you're married. (laughs) You know, this is one, it's not one I've heard clients really talk about, although it's one I have observed personally with clients, but it's one that when I read it on the internet, I was like, oh yeah, I have watched this happen a lot of times. So you'll often see this, that people will really put in the effort I'm going to say this is, this falls a little bit more on the guy's lap than the women's because women will often put a lot of effort into their looks because that's something that actually makes them happy. That's something that when they look in the mirror and they see themselves in an outfit that makes them feel good or their hair looks good, it's like a total release of oxytocin and just makes them happy. Um, so you will, you will see them putting a lot more focus on that in general. Whereas men, you'll see, put a lot less focus on that. And they'll try harder in the beginning. But, you know, once they've been in the relationship for a while or, you know, after they're married, they start paying a whole lot less attention to the way they dress, to how they groom themselves, to how they show up. Um, Celine used to have a a meme uh, that she would uh, use every once in a while. And I don't I don't know where she got it from, but it was uh, a picture. And it, you know, this is, she used to use this uh, for women when she was coaching women. But you know, on one half of it was a woman who was just dressed to the nines, as they say, beautiful dress, makeup, hair, the whole thing. And it says, "This is how I show up for a total stranger," like meaning you're going to go out on a date with someone you've never met, and this is how you show up. And then on the other half of it. It's her her hair's kind of like in a messy bun or something and you know she's just wearing her sweats and uh, you know hasn't really done anything. and it says, this is how I show up for the person I love, right? It's, and it's showing that when they're in a relationship, they don't do those same things that they did in the beginning. Now, that meme just happens to be uh, showing a woman, but you will see men doing the same thing all the time. So it's not really a man or a woman thing so much. Uh although, like I said, I do occasionally see it more with the men, kind of, you know, it, it's harder for men to really put a lot of energy and attention into how their hair looks or the clothes that they wear, and so they'll try harder in the beginning, you know, because they want to make a good impression and then they kind of slack off later on because it's not really sustainable for them, but in either case, Your appearance does still matter. It doesn't matter how many years you've been married. You could have been married for 50 years. It still matters. Don't you want to show up as the best version of yourself for the person that you love? I know I sure do, right? I want to show up. I want my body to be in the best shape it can be, not only for myself, but also for my partner. I want my partner to look at me and feel attracted to me. Um, I want to make sure that you know, I take care of my hair, that I grew my beard, which, you know, this is, if you've been watching the show for a long time, you know, the beard's kind of a new thing. Um, but yeah, I, I want to make sure that I am taking care of myself uh, and that I look good, feel good, smell good, whatever, uh, for my partner, because I want her to be attracted to me. You know, this is a big thing you see with people is they've been in a relationship for a long time and they lose attraction. One of the reasons is people let themselves go and the person that they're in relationship now is not the same person that they got into the relationship with. Now, great, like, I get it. We all change. Time is not kind to all of us and there are certain things that we just can't help. But there's a lot that we can help and there's a lot that we can do with some nice clean clothes and a little bit of grooming. So your appearance does matter even after you're married. Uh, next, you should lie a little about how many people you've slept with. Eh, wrong. I got to get a buzzer sound effect on my soundboard here. Um, I'll give it laughter instead. Because <laughs> I think it's stupid. No, you shouldn't lie about it. You just shouldn't. Um, I'm really fortunate that the, you know, the past partners I've had have been really open about that. Yeah. You know, I had one woman one day, uh, <laughs> we were talking about this very early on, uh, uh, in the relationship and she just looked me square in the face and she said, she said, you know, my number's most likely a lot higher than yours. And I was like, really? <laughs> and she said, well, I've been single for a long time, you know? And she's like, I have needs, and just because I'm single uh, doesn't mean uh, that I'm just not going to do anything. It's like, it's not because I was intentionally trying to have a high number. She's just like, I've been dating and trying to find the right person. And so, you know, I've dated quite a few people. And I was like, thank you for that honesty. I really appreciated that. I don't give a shit how high your number is. All I care about is that you're a good person, <laughs> uh, that you've taken care of your health, During all of that and that you're healthy. And uh, yeah, that that we're compatible in some way. So um, yeah, I don't think you should really lie about it. I think you should just be honest about it. You know, especially too, like sometimes people are like, I don't want them to know that I'm a player and that I like to have sex with a lot of different people. Well, okay, but is this going to be a serious relationship? Is this somebody that you're thinking about maybe being in a relationship with for long term? Because if so, and they're not open to open relating, then you're going to be in a bit of trouble, right? Because you told this person that you didn't have sex with that many people and that you want to be committed to a relationship, but the reality is, is what you really want is to be having sex with a lot of different people. So it always comes down to just being open and honest with yourself and with your partner. And, you know, here's another point to consider, If you're not honest about how many people you slept with, and it somehow comes out later on that you did sleep with more people than you actually told your partner, now you've just broken trust. Now you might say, Well, nobody would ever know that. Well, you know, people are smarter than you think. Over time, as you're telling stories about this person or that person that you dated, if you're not careful, They might go, one, two, three, four, wait a minute, I just added that up, and that's 10 people, but you told me you've only had sex with six people in your entire life, right? Like, people will will start to figure that out. So, uh, honesty is always the best. You want somebody to love you for who you are and uh, absolutely be okay with your past, and you know, maybe you're not proud of your past, and you just say, you know what? I'm not proud of it. Here's where I was at in that moment, but I've done the work. I've moved past that. And here's where I am today, right? Just be honest about it. Okay, next one. (laughs) Love hurts. Uh, No. (laughs) Love can hurt sometimes when somebody that you really love disappoints you in some way. But this idea that love should hurt and that it's not love if you're not feeling or experiencing that hurt from time to time simply isn't true. If your relationship hurts you on a regular basis, it's a dysfunctional relationship, period. Now, that doesn't mean that things won't happen from time to time that hurt because they do and there's no avoiding that. But, you know, love itself, relationships themselves, shouldn't hurt with any frequency. Uh, You know, occasional things pop up, you work through them, you move on. But in general, no, love should not hurt. Love should uplift you. Love should make you happy. Love should make your world better. All right, next. You should trust your friend's advice. Oh yeah, this is another great one. Uh, No, you shouldn't trust your friend's advice. Your friend's got lots of advice, and most of it's shit. Let's just be honest. Most of it is shit. Look at them, uh, how they've shown up in their relationships, what the results have been, and you'll get a pretty decent idea of the quality of the advice you're going to get from your friend. So your friends generally mean well, and they're doing the best they can for you, but their advice usually is pretty piss poor, for lack of a better term. So don't just go to your friends for advice. Seek out the advice from people you not only really trust, but that have a track record of giving good advice, have a track record of uh, healthy sex, love, and relationships themselves. Uh, Go out and seek advice from... Other experts in the field, there are lots of them. There are other experts in this field that do the same thing I do that I follow because I think they're spectacular. I do my best not to copy any of their content and not to talk about the same things they talk about when they're talking about them. Um, But there are lots of great people in this field. Find the one that resonates with you and go uh, listen to their advice. This entire episode right here is about advice on sex, love, and relationship. This is a much better place to get it than from your friend who's had a failed, a string of failed uh, relationships. Number eight, jealousy means that they love you. Actually, it's not really number eight. This <laughs> It's number 16, but uh, the numbering is a little screwed up here on my list, so I don't want to confuse you. <laughs> It's number 16. Jealousy means that they love you. Uh, No, it doesn't. It means that they're insecure. That's what it really means. Uh, So if somebody is in the relationship and you're experiencing a lot of jealousy, you need to figure out what's going on and why they feel so insecure. Now, it might be you are actually doing things that, that are directly contributing to their insecurity, or it might just be that they have some past trauma from past relationships where they don't feel secure. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they love you. There can be people who are really jealous, who... I would not categorize the way they show up in a relationship as love. So don't mistake jealousy as love. Love and jealousy uh, are kind of two different things. And just because somebody is demonstrating jealousy doesn't mean that they love you. Okay, and the last one on the list, and I put this last for a reason uh, just because it was a great way to sort of wrap up this whole thing. And it is, a good relationship doesn't require work. (sighs) Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) All relationships require work. There's just no way around that. But here's the difference. It shouldn't feel like work. I'm sure you've heard many times the saying, If you do what you love for a living, it will never feel like work. (laughs) And in some ways, that's true. I love doing this show. I love coaching people. It is something that I literally love doing. And yet some days, it does feel like work. Because it is work. It takes a lot of time, energy, and resources to produce one of these podcasts. And it's work. And some days, I'm like man, I'm tired. I didn't really want to do that. But yet, I love creating the podcast. And a relationship is kind of the same in a sense that every relationship requires work. If you're not actively working to maintain a healthy relationship, then it's probably going to wither away and die. Like Selena and I used to say all the time, Everything, everything in this reality, in this world is either growing or dying. Plants are either actively growing or they're shrinking and turning brown and dying. Your house, you're either actively working on it to maintain it or what happens if you don't maintain it? Nature starts to reclaim it and it starts to fall apart and crumble. Your relationship is the same way. It's going to take work to keep it alive and vibrant and healthy and functioning. But that's okay because if you love the person you're with and you love the relationship, it shouldn't most of the time feel like work. You're just happy to do it. Yeah, it might be work that you're you know you're going to read this book to learn better communication or whatever, but you're happy because you know that it's going to make your relationship even better. And sometimes it will actually feel like work and that's okay. The thing is, it shouldn't feel like hard work all the time, and it also uh, will require work, right? So the, the bad piece of advice is you know it's a good relationship uh, if it doesn't require any work. Bullshit. All relationships require work. Everything requires work. However, it shouldn't always feel like work, and it shouldn't always feel hard. You know, there's there's lots of things that are technically work that are easy or feel good or that you're happy about doing, And so most of the time, that's how your relationship should feel. And every once in a while, you might hit some roadblocks along the way that feel hard uh, and then really feel like work. And that's okay. You work through them, you get to the other side, right? And then it doesn't feel so much like work anymore. All right, there you go. That is actually 17 pieces of bad sex, love, and relationship advice that are busted. And now you have a better idea of what the advice should be. I hope that was helpful for you. If you like these types of episodes where I kind of bust myths and bad advice, let me know. I'd be happy to do more. When I was researching this, there are a lot more pieces of bad relationship advice out there. I just picked some of the ones that uh, I see the most often or that uh, I really wanted to straighten out because they are sort of my pet peeves, as I mentioned before. So, Uh, feel free to tell me in the comments some bad pieces of advice that you have been given uh, before. So that would be great. All right, everybody, that's all the time I have for this episode, and I will see you next week. We hope you like this episode of the Love Lab podcast. If you enjoy this show, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. And for more free, exclusive content, join us in the Passion Vault at celineremycom forward slash vault. That's celinerem ycom forward slash vault. Thanks for listening. And remember, you're amazing.